Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Jack Throwful Show. This is the interview segment for this week's episode, and we are joined by a very, very special guest, Nadim. Welcome to the show, Nadim. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for, yeah, thank you for bringing me on. Awesome. We always start with a little description of what your role is in motorsport and how, uh, you know, a race weekend looks from your eyes. So could you explain a little bit about what your role is in motorsport? Yeah, my role is as, as a media intern, but mainly it's been editorial. So I've mainly been working on the website side of things and been writing a lot. Uh, on the weekends, I help a lot with the live blogs on the F1 website. I do a lot of interview transcriptions and and stuff like that. And I'll write like a news story on, or something if something's happened. Um, yeah, so that's mainly my role. And it's a pretty fun one, I have to say. Absolutely. Those internships and, and opportunities to work inside Formula One, it's really something that's kind of growing in, in interest as motorsport expands globally and be really interesting for, I think, this interview to hear about the insight of what an F1 weekend is like from being inside Formula One versus, you know, most fans experiences is outside just watching the broadcasts. Yeah. So race weekend for you, it starts on Friday, right? In, in, in free practice. What's that day like for you on a typical Grand Prix weekend? That day, usually getting about an hour earlier before everything kind of kicks off and starts, but different people get in at different points. So I haven't been to a race weekend or Grand Prix yet, but so I'm usually working from the office. So you get in and, and you get prepared and you get the all the articles ready. You get kind of prepared for the blog because once it starts, it's pretty intense. And it's all like a bit of a ramp up for us as the weekend goes on and, you know, you you go an, uh, an hour early and you probably leave about two three hours after everything is done so yeah it's quite intense but it is some of the most rewarding work you'll do and it, and if if you're having a great exciting weekend which this season has been like every uh, grand prix this this year has been its own unique spectacle then it's such a fun job to have absolutely i think i mean the the championship we had last year i think for many people that was one of the best kind of two-way title battles anyone had ever seen and then the way it's yeah. evolved this year with the, the technical changes to the cars all the eyes that are on formula one and, and you're right to say like every minute from the start of practice really counts for the teams yeah. and also for the media um what was the learning curve like then do you remember your first day going in what was that experience oh, like my first day i was so nervous i remember it, I, it was so nervous but my boss at the time he he kind of he did my interview so i kind of had like a bit of a uh, relationship with him to begin with so on the first day he kind of took me out and settled my nerves and I think on my second day people started to come into the office and and I got to meet everyone and before I started F1 I had never properly written like a news story before I'd only done features and, and podcasts and and so that learning curve learning curve of me thinking I'm a great writer and then going in and I'm struggling in the beginning and I had to get the F1 way of writing and the, the in-house style was so difficult. And even to this day, you know, I'm still learning it and I'm like five, six months in. But the amazing part is that each time I write, I feel more confident, I feel more comfortable. And the people will tell you that they're still learning as well. You know, so people who have written for some of the best motorsport magazines or websites in the world will tell you they're still figuring it out as well. So it, uh, it helps to have such amazing people that I work with. But yeah, it's been... It's, it was such a difficult learning curve. And I remember being so frustrated once I called on my mom, like, I'm not getting this. And she's like, it will take time. And I'm like, no, but I need to get it now. And yeah, but after a while, you, it be, becomes repetitive. I think I've written like 
four or five news stories in a day now and it, it becomes wow really easy. it becomes really kind of natural at a certain point but yeah it was a very difficult kind of learning curve for me yeah i can imagine you know especially formula one fans you know listening to this now you can imagine the transfer from being on the outside to being on the inside right and yeah. everyone has these expectations of what it might be like what you know people's kind of preconceptions of, of how it really works inside the office are um, and then, you know, contrasting that with, with what the reality is. Yeah. Do you remember when you first saw the advert for the job and when you had the idea that, hey, maybe working in Formula One could be a career path? Yeah, I mean, I've been an F1 fan my most of my life. So I, I did, the idea of working F1 was something that never registered for me. But I was actually working at a law firm at the time because I, I actually studied to be a lawyer, but I hated it. And I was, I have, I, I started writing you know, being a, doing sports writing in 2020 during the pandemic, and I joined this He's into sports journalism, and they kind of sent, they kind of got an email from F1 and said, these two positions are open, can you send these around? And they, someone sent it to me, and I got a message from a friend that says, you better apply, because everyone mm. you know, was a huge one fan, and, and I applied, and I kind of forgot about it for a couple of weeks, and then they got an email back saying, there's the interview, you can you come in on this day? And I went, okay. I went to the interview and I was like two minutes late because I live far away from the office. Mm. And everyone was sat there and I went, oh God, I'm late on my interview day. This is this is the, the worst thing that you can do. And I was so upset. And But the interview went really well and they gave us the task and everything was went great. And I didn't hear from them for weeks. And I just thought, I completely forgot about it. And I got a call one day and I was just walking in the street. I just got a call and... and and I, immediately I knew what it was about. Like I didn't. I just saw the number and I went, "This is F1." And I got a wow. call and told me, oh, "Got it." And I got, "Oh, thank God!" I needed to get out of that low job. But um, yeah, it, it, the, that day was just incredible for me. I, I, I remember it like, yeah, I just remember the feeling. I was like, "Oh my God, I've, I'm working in F1. F1 are calling me to actually go work for them," and that was such an incredible feeling. And to this day, it's still kind of surreal at times. Yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah, what what a moment that must have been, and also um, for your family as well, right? They must have been so happy for you to to see a, a career path getting out of that law system where obviously it wasn't meshing perfectly, and um, and yeah, it's really special to be able to wake up and, and go to a job that you feel a real connection to and a, a passion for. Um, you mentioned that you you'd been a lifelong F1 fan. Um, yeah. Did, did you have favorite favorite drivers going into it? What was your kind of perception of the sport in terms of uh, now? Now you're a corporate man, Nadim. I'm not going to ask you to to um, pick a side on that. But before, yeah. um, what was it like? You know, who who was you uh, rooting for? I have been a Lewis Hamilton fan for the longest time, sure. and but Sebastian. I saw an interview actually. I went on Lee McKenzie. She posted something the other day, and Sebastian Vettel said that everyone is a Ferrari fan. And he's actually right because I grew up actually loving Felipe Massa as well. And I was a big fan of his. And when he lost that 2008 world title, I remember sitting on the floor thinking, oh God, like I like Lewis, but Massa's <laughs> lost the title in Brazil. So yeah, but I think those two have been the drivers that I always uh, like admired, but Lewis more. Also kind of a fan of Robert Kubica. Always kind of thought to myself, oh, what would have been if he never got into the accident? But yeah, Lewis, is, he's been my guy uh, for as long as I can remember. It's been one of my favorite because I cover multiple sports. I think he's probably my favorite athlete. I think just just who he is as a person, athlete, I just always admired it. 
absolutely it's been it's so interesting to look back look back now um i remember during lockdown i watched uh, i think it was australia 2007 right lewis's first ever race obviously i was a, yeah. a little kid at the time i i don't i didn't remember it but, but looking back on it and i was just listening to the commentary and the the commentator james allen said you know how they do those like um obviously crofty does it now but like the little intros before the races yeah. where they sort of panning around the track and going through the grid yeah. and james allen had a line where he said there's something of a star in that boy um you know yeah. lewis is like 21 first ever formula one race and in that race as well he does fernando into turn one and he got a podium in that race and it was oh, just yeah. like looking back on it now the impact he's had throughout formula one history is is incredible yeah. um What's it like writing it's about always him then? Yeah. I did something the other day on him. Uh, what was it? He, yeah, I think it was after the, I think, qualifying in Canada? Or was it after the race? I wrote an article about him and just kind of what he said. And it's always, I think, any jet time I write about a driver is, is pretty insane because you get the interview codes and then you, you kind of go to a new story about, about them. But with Lewis, there's always something kind of surreal about it. You know, and my dad as well is a huge Lewis Hamilton fan. My dad was a huge Ayrton Senna fan. So, um, you know, I, if I'd always message him saying, if I, so I never really send my work to anyone, but the minute I wrote about Lewis, I just sent it back home and like, look what I did today. Like, it's, it's Lewis. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's special for me and my family because I, we always kind of remember those Sundays where we sat around, sat around just watching, um, you know, F1, and we, we ch- we're trying to think, oh, will Lewis win this weekend? Or, you know, or who's going to compete? Who's going to challenge him? And and now you're in this position where you get to write about him for a living. And I think it's 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 always an amazing feeling. And, yeah, it's just, it always makes you reminisce about when you, you're growing up and kind of going through everything. And, and now you're at a point where it's your job to write about Lewis Hamilton. It's pretty special. It's pretty special. I can see it on your face just watching you describe it. The, the pride is, is really, really cool. Um, you mentioned Lewis was among your, your favorite athletes. Um, yeah. Beyond Formula One, who else is, is on that list? Is, is it that element of kind of being an icon for the sport and almost being bigger yeah. than the sport is, is what drives your kind of passion for Lewis? And who else do you see that in? I, I love people that I think, like I love watching athletes that, I love watching greatness in a way. I, I think because it's such a hard thing to do, like, because there's so many talented, you know, athletes around the world in every single sport. And then you get to the ones where they've just gone above everyone else. And it's so difficult to kind of comprehend how they do that. And, and Serena Williams is one person for me. I just, I, I've never been able to understand how she won a Grand Slam pregnant. And it's something like that just, just blows my mind. I think Tiger Woods as well. Um, uh, I was big fan of Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal, but mainly Federer and um, obviously LeBron James and Kobe Bryant. Uh, but there's so many of them that kind of need to get a list. But, you know, I love watching Messi play. Um, it's quite a few of them. And yeah, I just love watching people who are great at what they do because you find that those are the ones that led one in a million chance. I think even when you watch Verstappen now, you know, and I think it was Karun Chandak the other day that said Verstappen is in that kind of tale of driver that comes along every few years that you just don't believe how good he is. And watching Verstappen now, you think, my God, like he's he's just like a superstar. Like he's he's really good at what he does. So still, I love I just love watching athletes who just go above and beyond kind of everyone else. Yeah, I mean Verstappen. I think you're absolutely right. It, the 
I, I think, you know, he was written into the history books from his first ever race because of his age and, and how young he was. Of course, also his father, there's a, plenty of Formula One drivers have fathers that um, were into motorsports on some level or even Formula One drivers. Um, but yeah, Max has it was been an incredible talent from yeah. day one, really. And, and to have all the eyes on him, it, it just it's so interesting in Formula One because there are only 20 drivers at a time. It's so different to a sport like, uh, you know, rugby. I suppose on the global stage, rugby is actually quite a small sport. There's only sort of eight or nine countries that are genuinely world-class at rugby, whereas with football, it's more. But in Formula One, when you've only got 20 drivers, um, it's really going to put the pressure on someone who's so young coming into it. I wanted yeah. to ask, um, again, just about the the role you have at F1 now and the interviewing process. What was the actual yeah. interview like? You, you mentioned your boss was the guy who um, actually did the interview and that kind of helped you moving in on your first day. Yeah. But could you speak about what, um, maybe not the direct questions, I suppose they might not love that, but the process of, of actually doing the interview was like, because we may have people listening that are applying for similar roles, yeah. you know? Yeah, I think that I did my interview kind of on the day with like four other people. So it was kind of a, everyone comes in, you get to know each other for like the first half an hour and, and you know, they ask you questions about F1, who's your favorite driver and all this stuff. And like, which driver do you secretly like? And and little taste of questions like, oh, where would you like to see a race? I said Tokyo. Um, um, oh, wow. Because I, yeah. I had this idea of uh, Mario Karts like in the streets of Tokyo. And I said, let's do F1 cars and uh, stuff like that. But yeah, you get a little taste of questions. And then you go into the interview and they kind of ask you about yourself. And they give you tasks as well to see kind of what you come up with. And it's just different things as well. So I, I would say one of the things I tried to do was, one, you have to be yourself. But also when they give you tasks and, and they try and test you in a way, you need to be able to come up with something, I guess, different, but something kind of unique. You know, it's like you need to be able to show that you can add value to what they already have because it's quite a, um, it's a growing, like we've seen how huge F1 has become over the last couple of years, but especially last season. And so they're looking for, they seem to be looking for a lot of people who can bring something new. I think everyone is, you know, and I think it's just, just that really and yeah i i like the interview stage i think they made you feel very comfortable and they made you feel like you could be yourself so it's nothing really to worry about i just just be yourself and, and just try and show that you can be of service to them yeah it's really interesting that they were kind of asking you those questions at the start just to maybe suss out people who didn't quite have their trivia background or their you know the to tell people's like passion yeah. for the sport where it comes from and i suppose you yeah, I mean, Mario Kart, I would hide you right on the spot, Nadim. That's pretty, uh, that's, a, that's a good <laughs> one. I, I'm really looking forward to getting Suzuka back on the calendar this year. Suzuka, to me, yeah. is, is an incredible track. Um, that's coming yeah. up later in the year, of course, but that's a real gem on the calendar, in my opinion. It's been so nice to have some of the old tracks back. Like, I, I love Australia. I love the Grand Prix. And this was my first time ever working at, on the Australian Grand Prix, and it was difficult. Like, the night shift you know and everyone is yeah, difficult yeah. you're driving to the to the to the office at like 2 a.m but i absolutely loved the grand prix and and we had canada montreal just the other weekend i thought that was pretty cool as well so to have singapore suzuka back i think it's, it's nice it's it's nice it's really cool yeah i think a, a tokyo grand prix would be reminiscent of singapore a little bit in in yeah. the way flying through the skyscrapers it just creates an incredible like contrast when you just see uh, you know what looks like a normal kind of high developed city and then these crazy yeah. cars i mean i think there was 
they'd spoken about a New York one before, right? But the plans never went through. But the kind of rumored yeah. New York Grand Prix has been around for a while. Yeah, um, I, I remember when I was a kid, didn't they have the one about doing one in London as well? I, 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 the one where, like, I think it was around Buckingham Palace or something like that, I, if I remember correctly. But I remember they did there that was, on, there was an, yeah, there was an episode of Top Gear where they had all the all these cars lined up outside Buckingham Palace and they had the F1 cars there. It was yeah. for like some Jubilee thing. I know the Formula E, um, Formula E race in the somewhere um, around Canary Wharf is like some exhibition centre near the Docklands okay. in London. And they, they run because their cars are smaller and yeah. basically the, the tracks all happen on a much kind of windier scale. They yeah. run a track through the Docklands Exhibition Centre that's like, it goes half through the building and then back yeah. out the other side. It's, it's really weird, but that's, uh, uh, yeah, a London one would be cool. Yeah, this, uh, yeah. It, it would be, there's a lot of places I would love to see Grand Prix, but uh, just, like, everyone wants to spot an F1, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think the there are questions being asked of, uh, now about like the the calendar getting too busy, right, with, with 23 races. Yeah. Um, that's a lot to cover on a website, right? That's plenty of plenty of work throughout the year. Every Grand Prix is yeah. more, more notes, more more to cover. Yeah. But what what are you um in a practice session in a kind of a, you know race F one uh, time session? What are you looking for when you're you know putting stuff on the website, adding adding stuff down, doing your job, yeah. and and you know editing the content, bringing it to the website? Yeah. What's the process like of doing that? Is it pretty pretty clear to you? You know, this guy's gone off here, yellow flag here, that sort of thing. How do yeah. you how do you approach that job? Yeah, I think it depends on you know I guess what I'm doing. So largely, my since I got there, my role has kind of been on an F1 race weekend. I will help with the live blog, um, and then I'll also go into like video highlights. So a lot of the highlights on the page, um, like the session highlights, I will write them and I write the story for them. Um, so a lot, a lot of them I kind of look for, I don't go into depth on that one. So I kind of just look for, okay, um, who's, who, what time is he set? Uh, what tire was he on? What's the weather like? Um, who came within, who came closest to him? You know, did anyone spin any red flags? You know, did anyone get close to the barrier? What's the circuit like? Kind of those things. And I think with, you know, with the, with the live blog, you kind of, it's so intense, especially in the race day, but you kind of just look for, okay, what's, what's, what are the key things happening? Because you don't want to, you don't want to give information and then not finish off. So you need to kind of go, okay, what's the, what are the key things happening here? What's, and you kind of have your notes. Okay. Uh, what am I looking for today? What do I need to have so I can be as consistent as possible? So yeah, it just depends, I guess, also on the race, the Grand Prix and what you can expect. So Silverstone is usually, you can expect it to be different to Montreal in a way, because different track, different. It's, one is a circuit, the other is kind of a street circuit, I guess. And so you kind of is, you kind of just go along with uh, what the weekend kind of um, entails. But yeah, largely my weekends are pretty much the same, and just preparing the same way, and and you know, and, and just I guess finding where the content will be and finding where the story will be, you know, for that weekend. Yeah, and and with F1 being so integrated into kind of social media, it's one of those things where the the business and the sport is almost a little bit more the the crossover is is a bit more significant than maybe something like football. You know, you have this environment on especially Twitter, right, where you have you know the kind of F1 admin Twitter account, and then all the little sub the teams have ones, and all these so many people have like you know ten to fifteen thousand follower like small Twitter accounts where then they're interacting yeah. and they've got fans and 
what what's that like from from inside the building that sort of fan community and and now being a part of that contributing to it um how do you how do you view that whole thing i try and avoid social media i'll I'll be genuinely honest but i i do sometimes i'm not gonna lie i do sometimes peek and see what's going on so if i ever write something that gets posted on the twitter account i will look at what people say and i will try and see but largely people just excited that you wrote about their favorite driver um but it's it's I mean, it's it's insane. I think when you get to see the analytics of it all and you see the, the how many page views or how many views that story gets, you go, wow, those numbers are insane. So yeah, I think it's it's pretty surreal that that many people can watch what you do. And and I've one of the things I've been able to do is see the video production side of things and and watch how they go about their 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 work. And then you see the end product of it all, and then you, you go to the comment section and you just wish people would would see how hard people were working to get something like that out. And yeah, it's it's, it's pretty cool. And yeah, it's always pretty surreal when you see the numbers and fans looking at what you do. I think that that's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. You spoke there about the, like the scale of the company, how much people don't see that goes into the um, production. What is yeah. the the scale like of of the F1 office? How many people? I mean, I, I don't know about exact figure, but does it you yeah. know does it feel like a really big company where there's you know plenty of help where you need it and so much yeah. so many different specialized departments? What's the the scale of the business like now? It's quite uh good. Well, there are two offices, so but um so different sides, I guess. But yeah, it's quite big. And but the thing I would say is that it was quite small because everyone is within you can message someone immediately um kind of it, kind of in a way so even if they're in the other, other office or they're at home you can it's quite and it's quite i guess a small community of like media people so yeah i think it's it's quite a, a, a number of us and a lot of people go with on a race weekend there's a lot of people working behind the scenes to make sure the f1 you know can get content out can get you know the like the the streaming stuff out and everything like that so you get to see them and, and what they do um but it, it genuinely feels quite small because uh, one you they're within like uh, you can message them very quickly and also because <laughs> you work on the weekend you tend to see the same faces so if you go to the canteen oh there's Buxton you know so you know those type of things I guess make it feel smaller than it actually is but yeah there's a lot of people that work really really hard to get um the content out for everyone yeah, I mean Will Buxton, he's definitely one of the sort of figureheads on the on the broadcast side, right? In front of the camera yeah. um for yeah. Formula One. I mean, I suppose it sounds like a bit of a fan question, but have you met him? What what's he like as a as a guy? Did you um did you get to say hello? Yeah, I've met him a few times. He's really nice. Uh I met him uh I went to testing in, in Bahrain and we were in his office just working and he sat next to me and uh I had when I went to I went to the testing in Barcelona and I took no pictures. I got a lot of like insults from my family, like why didn't you take anything? I'm like, well, I was I didn't really do it and anything like that. And um, I took these two kind of uh, old school film cameras and I left I left it on my table when I was working and he saw it and he like I haven't seen one of these in a long time and, and stuff like that. But yeah, he's he's really nice. He's nice to talk to. He's always up to talk to anyone. You can go up to him, say hi, and and. He's very open. So, yeah, I think you it's so surreal, really, that you get to see, like, I saw Julian Palmer once and I was on the same flight with him once. And I'm like, wow, Julian Palmer, former F1 driver. That's pretty immense. And, yeah, so it's, it's pretty surreal when you see the people that 
you see on TV all the time or on radio or you watch their YouTube stuff and then you get to actually sit next to them on a flight or you get to be in the same office as them. That That's something really special. Yeah, I mean, I would say... I would think I've experienced that a little bit um, doing the show, not obviously quite on the, on the same scale as like people working inside Formula One. But yeah, like there'll be, you know, YouTube creators or um, there's a photographer called Jamie Price who maybe yeah. you've seen. So he, he was yeah, one of the earliest. Yeah, he was one of the earliest episodes where literally I just, you know, I knew he had a big Instagram, kind of big TikTok following and, and I, I love photography. Um, and, you know, he's really it's just I think he's a, a real talent. You know, his eye yeah. is incredible. And I just shot him an email and I was like, what, Jamie, you know, big fan, mate. Um, would you like to come on the show? And he, you know, came on, gave me a, a full hour of his time and was so open about it. Um, and I had a, a yeah. similar thing happened. Um, do you know Jonathan Wheatley, the Red Bull, the team, yeah, team radio I guy? Do, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he came on as well. And it was a similar thing where it's just like, bloody hell, mate. It's, it's that guy from the telly. Like, it's, it's crazy. You just, you, you start to, you kind of, you put these people in a box where like, they're just the person from the telly. And then you actually yeah. interact with them and it's like, oh, you can, you know, you can have a real conversation and kind of change That's... their life in a way, right? Add add a difference to it and, and kind of yeah. change that that connection. It's really special and, yeah. and it's really cool to hear kind of your side of that. Yeah, that's the thing because you kind of put these people in a box and you kind of, I guess, put them on a pedestal that they will never kind of speak to me. And you, it's one of the things that I found at F1 is that everyone is so open to helping you. Everyone is so open to having a conversation with you. Like no one... Like they could easily spurn you away, they don't. And I think that's the amazing part about the F1 community is that it's a lot friendlier than I thought it would be. Yeah, that might be because you stay off social media, Nadeem. I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> no, I, um, I, I do use it, but I will try and hide myself as much as possible from social media. I got, I, I did a quiz once and my name was on it and someone must, like just messaged me on, on Twitter. I was like, there's something wrong with this quiz. And I just looked and I went... This is why I don't interact with you guys. <laughs> I guess yeah. it was unnecessary, but yeah, it's yeah, it's it's such a great place. No, when I um when I interviewed Jonathan, I think immediately I you know I was a Red Bull shell. I was I was told to do you know he get he given me questions before the interview, and I was I I was like I'd love to be part of a big conspiracy with the FIA. That sounds <laughs> like fun. I'm you know I'm not, but if a hey, that sounds really interesting. Um, but unfortunately, it's not quite as. Yeah, everyone, everyone's, you know, wanting people very quick to criticize, right? Um, earlier, you, you spoke about as we go from Canada to Silverstone, it's a big change of track dynamic, yeah. probably a change of weather too. But we did, you know, we got rain in Montreal, so maybe it'll uh, it'll carry over in that way. <laughs> but what are the differences for you as as we uh, travel between those two tracks, and how do you view the kind of present situation in Formula One at the moment? It's really interesting because I think everyone's kind of waiting to see what Mercedes, what are they going to be like at Silverstone? I think the last time we saw them on an, I guess, an actual F1 track was Barcelona and they looked really good and Hamilton was really fast in the race. And the thought was that if Magnussen hadn't hit him, could he have won the race uh, kind of thing? So I guess if Silverstone will be really interesting to watch, but Max Verstappen is on his own one right now. And, and you know, he, he just looks in supreme form. But then again, Matteo Bonotto said that if that with this new power unit that Leclerc has, he can attack these next few races before the summer break. That'll be really interesting to see because Leclerc has been he's been immense this season, especially in qualifying. And he's been really let down with some, I guess, reliability issues in the last couple of races and everything like that. But I think it's such a the title race is still there. I know Verstappen has this still 46 point lead. Perez is still in this. 
you know, Sainz has said he's back and he feels more comfortable with the car. I think really, I don't think we've seen the best of the season yet. I think there's still so much great racing to come. Great racing to come. When I, I'm so excited to cover it. And Silverstone is kind of the start of that. Absolutely. I think it's it's that three-way title fight that everyone's kind of, we had it, uh, you know, the V8 era, you had McLaren, uh, Red Bull, Ferrari. It did seem like yeah. for, you know, certain periods, all three, you had all three cars quick at the same time, right? You weren't just going between race to race seeing one might be better here, one might be better at the next track. They were all good yeah. at most of the tracks. And I think, yeah, fingers yeah. crossed for the second half of this season, it could be really, really special if Mercedes bring that, technical development um with the teammate dynamic at mercedes this year how do you think that's going to play out we know every driver hates losing to their teammate and, and lewis has only done it well he's joint on points with fernando alonso in his first ever year um i think there was one year where he lost to button and then obviously the year where he lost to rosberg but that's yeah. you know as, as a as a record that's basically better than anyone else ever um but I mean, I suppose Michael maybe did when he maybe lost to his teammate in the early years. And I guess Michael also lost to Rosberg in the later yeah. Mercedes years. Yeah, but, late, um, it was late. Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, a later Michael Schumacher is not going to be as quick, but he did some, have some amazing performances. And so yeah. that storyline, the fact that he actually did come back to Formula One and then almost start Mercedes, which was then the Lewis Hamilton, you know, Lewis took his seat effectively after he retired. And then... Yeah. It's just, yeah, um, I got, that was a bit of a tangent there. I was meant to ask about <laughs> Russell, George Russell and Lewis Hamilton, not Michael Schumacher. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you think the dynamics like in that team at the moment, two British drivers at the British Grand Prix, are they going to be friendly together or um, a bit, bit frosty? If the car gets better, the relationship could yeah. get worse, right? You would, I guess you would think so. But then again, uh, you know, I think... I actually weirdly believe that the car not being where they want it to be for the first few races probably helped their relationship because they're not competing in that same way. They're actually trying to, I guess, get the car to the front. And that could probably have been the best thing for them where it's like, okay, look, we're not where we want to be, but let's help each other get there. And of course, I think Rosberg said it the other day that Hamilton hates losing to his teammate. And I think every driver hates losing to their teammate. No one like Verstappen won't be happy if Perez beats him. Like as much as he'll respect it, he just won't like it. So, um, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. No one, no one enjoys it. Science does not enjoy losing to Leclerc right now. So, um, I, I do think that we've kind of heard from them that because Russell has been immense this season, he's been top five every single race, but that Lewis has been doing the experiments. Like kind of that's kind of the conversation that's been, and that's what Mercedes have said. So, I'm really interested to see what happens when. If their car is good this in Silverstone, what happens within that dynamic? But I actually think them working on the car together has probably, you know, really helped them. And Toto Wolff has said, you know, that their relationship is really good and, and they work really well together and he loves working them in team meetings. So that's a really good sign. But, you know, as as we just said, no one likes losing to their teammate. And Russell is really good, but Hamilton is Hamilton. Then, you know, he said it as well. Like, you're going against the benchmark in F1, technically, which is Hamilton. And you're going to compete against him. And Russell will want to prove himself and he'll want to show that he is he is the future of Mercedes, but Hamilton, I guess, is, is still Hamilton. So I love the dynamic. I think it's the, probably the strongest driver lineup on the grid. But then again, so is Red Bull. Red Bull is really strong. So is Ferrari. And uh, it's just, it's really great to watch, actually. And you get the feeling that if all six, if, if those six cars can win a race, 
boy, we are in for some good racing like for the rest of the season. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it does seem like, yeah, signs, you know, the P2 in Canada, it's significant for him on his record. It was, uh, you know, it's one of those unfortunate stats, really, that it was the fifth time he'd ever finished second, right? And, and that's, I mean, and he'd never won a race. That's brutal. Um, but it, it, it feels like it's coming for signs. It, it does, like, it's a matter of when, not if. Uh, I believe that. He's, he's far too good a driver not to win a race this season. Yeah, but if he's if he's always if both cars finish qualifying, your money's yeah. always going to be on Charles, and that means he has to go yeah. past Charles in the race, and that means yeah. he has to not go by his team orders probably because yeah. Charles is ahead in the world championship, Nadine. So there, there's so many. It's one of those <laughs> things about Formula One. There's so many layers to everything. There's so many like, well, this happened. Well, then what about this? What about this? What about, you know? And I'm sure getting into it on the the writing side, is it hard sometimes to kind of tell? the full story when actually in the notes, you really have to be quite quick and sort of punchy with the details. Yeah. How do you reduce down to the essential information and kind of filter out the stuff I say, which is just sort of waffle? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's one of the things you had to learn. I, because <laughs> I remember when there's a lot of, there are a lot of few writers at F1 and they kind of, everyone subs what you do and they go through everything with kind of, and then they go, okay, this is where you need to work on and this is what you need to do. And one of the things they wanted me to do at the beginning was flesh out my story and say, look, uh, you need to add a bit of context. You can't just go straight into everything. So I started adding context and then someone went, well, you need to kind of reduce the context a bit and try and be as quick and snappy as possible. So you have to find the right balance. So one of the things I've gone, gone with is on a race weekend, I'll say, this is how they did it in qualifying. This what led to the, this what happened in the race. Did anything significant really happen in the race that they did? Maybe the pit stop didn't work or maybe he overtook someone. You know, stuff like that. So it's really, really finding, I guess I kind of think of it from the perspective, they really didn't watch the race. So in like the quickest amount of time, how can I tell them how their driver went and how that driver went in the race? So, yeah, but it, because so much happens on the weekend and because there's so much, like, it's really, really action-packed. Like, it's really quick and it's 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 really intense to pick out what is actually necessary to say. It's, it's, it's quite, like... It's quite confusing at times, but you do kind of get used to it with time. And do you feel like since that first day where you walked in and you're nervous in, in the big office, that, that learning curve kicked in, do you see the evidence in your work of, of a real kind of development in skill and, and learning those rules, that writing style? Yeah, absolutely. I, I got a message the other day from, I guess, my boss, who said, uh, we went through a story and we're like, this is your best one yet. And I think that that made me feel really good. And yeah, you can definitely see it. I think, you know, I, one of the things that kind of my mindset coming into this thing was that you need to believe in yourself as a writer, but also realize that you're not where you need to be. And you, there's so much still to learn. So the, who I was, I guess, as a writer a month ago to where I am now is vastly different as well. I've, I've kind of developed my own style of how I want to say things. And one of the things I do is I read a lot. Like I have subscriptions to every, I think every newspaper today is going. I try to read as much as I can. I read everything that gets sent to my desk at F1. If Lawrence Barretta writes something, I'm definitely reading it. Um, and, you know, and, and just to see how they go about it. Because one of the things I struggled with was actually the intro. Like how am I feeding that into everything that I do? So, um, yeah, I, I think reading definitely helps. And you can see it in my, my writing, just not being arrogant, but I've just improved so much. But... I know for a fact there's still there's still a ways to go. I still feel like I can improve in so many things. I don't think I'll ever 
get to the point where I think I'm perfect at it. But I think I'm working towards that. And it's definitely, definitely, definitely got better. Yeah, you mentioned um, Lawrence Barreto there. In terms of uh, him as a writer, but also who else do you look to as kind of inspirations or, you know, people you look to emulate in your work in, yeah. in the maybe even, you know, there's, there's Lawrence and Will, of course, and, and Tom Clarkson as yeah. well. He does the press conferences. He's really brilliant. But uh, who stands out to you? Ooh, Lawrence is uh, watching Lawrence on a race weekend is, in, is insane because not only does he do the writing and the features and stuff like that, he'll go and he'll do press conferences. And he'll interview the drivers, and he'll rush up and start writing. And Lawrence is 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 pretty amazing at what he does. And watching him sometimes around the office, you get to see. Uh, I don't think you know. Sometimes I'm actually just watching him, uh, <laughs> watching what he does. So, um, yeah, he he's one. I think uh, Rebecca Clancy at the Times. I think she's really good at what she does, and and I love reading what she writes about him. But yeah, I think there are quite a few. I love Rich. I don't remember who writes for the Independent. Um, but yeah, uh, I can't remember the name, but I think that person's really good. Chris Medlin as well. Um, he yeah, does some stuff brilliant. for F1 as well. He's brilliant at what he does. And so yeah, there are quite a few few writers I watch, and even like some of the guys at F1 who I guess their names aren't always on the website. The way they write as well is there's everyone's kind of got their own unique style, even in within that framework of how you write for F1. So I guess it's developing your own style. I'm trying to develop mine, but just watching how they introduce something like it's a bit different each and each and every single one of them but within that framework so there are quite a few writers that i love uh even outside of f1 you know there, there are quite a few that i will go and read and what they do what they do and how they go about you know uh introducing certain things or how they go about writing a certain topic but i definitely think within f1 i think you, you look at lawrence you look at chris medlin um yeah uh, rebecca clancy to me i think she's brilliant i think she's absolutely brilliant and yeah even some of the f2 people that work at f2 now um uh they're really good at i love re reading their race reports so yeah I, I read everything that comes across my desk so yeah um you know yeah. it's it's really um and you, you almost that is going to make you a, a better writer too you know consuming other people's content learning you know what they put into it to to make theirs good and also respecting yeah. the fact yeah as, as you mentioned everyone the value is in having a unique style while you can read as much as yeah. you like to learn how other people do their writing there's also there is a split between that and then what is ultimately going to shape your own kind of narrative style and and kind of yeah, yeah. editorial editorial style I suppose. Um, how do you see your kind of your role progressing? Is it do you think it's yeah just going up higher? You know, working more on the website and and just progressing inside of F1. Do you think the the yeah. division you know it's better? You'd rather be at F1 corporate than one of the teams. How do you view the kind of situation regarding your your future in Formula One? It's a big question, and I know uh, yeah. maybe it doesn't have to be. Not everyone would have a. I'm sure plenty of people wouldn't have a prepared answer for that at all. But um, yeah. yeah, what are your expectations like of of the future for you? Yeah, uh, the future. Oh, that's a great question. I'm well. I've got uh, a bit of time left at F1 and. We'll kind of see what happens. I might continue uh, there for much longer than my internship because you know I've enjoyed it and they seem to I guess like me. Hopefully, fingers crossed, and and hopefully that can continue. But I have you know I I, I don't want just want to work in F1. I, I want to do cricket. Cricket was my favorite sport growing up. Um, I'd love to work there one day. I'd love to do football. I'd love to do you know I'd love to do so many different sports and have and guess try in different. You know, uh, just try different uh, things as well. And, you know, of course, writing now is where I want to be. I love, I absolutely 
love writing news stories. I'd I'd love to I love doing features sometimes for myself when I used to write for myself on my website. Um, but I'd, I'd love to try what well, you do radio. I'd love to try one day. I'd, I'd I'd love to get in front of the camera one day. I I I don't know that when that will ever happen. I don't know if it will ever happen. But I'd love to try it. I think, you know, I'm pretty young, and I I, I think now is kind of the time where I want to try everything. I, and maybe sometimes I want it a bit too much. But I, I I just want to try as much as I can. You know, I've I've seen the video production stuff. I I wanted to see what they did, and and they're pretty amazing what they do. But I, I think when you watch the actual interviews and then the way it comes out, you go, that's pretty amazing, and you know, stuff like that. So yeah, I think the future is what will be will be. I think I'm pretty happy at F1 right now, and you know I'm learning so much and working with some incredible people, and you know I'm, I'm I hope it continues. Um, but yeah, I think it's features. Hopefully it will be pretty bright. Hopefully, and I, I wondered if if you could compare the um, the sport of cricket with the sport of Formula One because it seems like they're really at far ends of the spectrum yeah. in regards to you know I mean you know you got the you got the hundred now you got T twenty if you want you know yeah. minute to minute action but that's about it in five day Test cricket you're not uh, you're not anywhere near the edge of your seat until the final day maybe but um, how do you how do you view the difference between those two and and what is it about cricket as well that you know draws your eye and and kind yeah. of brings passion to your life? Oh god, cricket is a cricket. I think is a family thing. My grandfather played cricket for Sierra Leone, which is where I'm from. My mum was a huge fan of cricket, so um, I think my dad is as well. One of my first words I think was cricket bat. Uh, I actually used to take those those big like one liter bottles and turn it into cricket bats, um, like in barbecues and stuff like that. So cricket was the first love, and but it's 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 yeah, it's really different from F1 and. I'd say, but they're very similar in the sense that I always look at cricket and it's the most individual team sport in that 11 guys, but 11 guys having to do a different job in a way. And I think F1 is kind of the same thing in that it's a team sport, but you have two drivers on the same team who are working together, but also looking to beat each other and looking to outperform the other. So there's there's some similarities yeah. there in that it's a very individualistic team thing. But, you know, I guess at the end of the day, the, the team comes first. But, yeah, they are very different. And, um, you know, I, even you look at football as well. Football, I think, is the most collective team because if the 11 don't work together, it doesn't work. Um, but, yeah, it's yeah, it's very different. But I guess that there are some similarities, I think, with all sports, actually. Yeah, I think in, in like, the management style of the team, um, it's something that you see the team principals like to put out. Like, they... They almost want to create an environment where it would feel like a football team. And while yeah. at the end of the day, it's the driver driving the car, it's up to them to decide how quickly it goes around the lap. And, and there's nothing that, you know, there's a, a yeah. limit to what anyone else in the team can contribute. And at the end of the day, yeah. it's going to come down to the driver to, to bring it across the line. But then you've still got every single other person in that team, whether they're putting it together, they're designing it, they're, you know, working on maintaining it so yeah. many different specializations you know you could be in the in the pit stops you could be doing tech audio computer you know so many different things yeah. even just in in the race team yeah. and fostering that environment where you know the, the sort of the rising tide lifts all the boats and everyone as a part of the team rises together i think there's no better person at doing that than lewis right as, as a as a figurehead yeah. motivational figurehead as a driver 
he really embodies that spirit, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely think so. I think people kind of get onto him sometimes when he's a bit downbeat, and then he goes, I think there was something before the other day he's interviewing, he's like, this guy is so bad. And people oh, get that was leaked on purpose. Nadeem, yeah. I will not let you tell me that the video production team at Formula One didn't 100% I, know that I that was in the, in the clip. I'm not part of it. I didn't know. I just saw it come across my TV on Sky, and I was like, oh my <laughs> God, that came up. Uh, so, yeah, but I think... Uh, yeah, I think you get different type of leaders in a way, and and I guess Lewis is more from the front in a way because he, he's kind of no one's god, but he's kind of like this otherworldly being. He's like, oh my god, that's Lewis Hamilton. He walked across me once, and I went, whoa! <laughs> like it yeah. was a different level of wow. So uh, yeah, I think when you have someone on your team like, that, and I think as well in in that for Mercedes, nothing that will be simple, but you kind of have in your mind. I just need to give him a good car and he will deliver for me. And when you have that kind of confidence in someone, it just makes, I guess, your life pretty easy. And I was looking, when the new technical, kind of the new change in the 2022 cars came, I think everything was kind of, I think everyone kind of expected to see the same 10 cars across the grid and line up and, you know, for, for the pictures and everyone expected the same cars to be seen. It was 10 different cars. And you just go and look up and down the paddock and you go, these are teams full of geniuses and incredibly smart brains. And then you've got the two drivers they're trusting to give this machinery to and the 20 of the best drivers in the world. And I think just having that confidence in your driver and knowing that, you know, I just need to give him a good car and he'll be fine. I think Ferrari have that in, in their drivers. I think Red Bull have it in their drivers as well. And I think it's an amazing feeling to have. And that in in itself is great leadership. When you know, when you have the backing of a team and they trust you. And I think Lewis is, is he's had that. And he, I think he has that Mercedes. Without, with everything that went on this season, with all the times where it's been a bit slow, every single time he's been, even though sometimes he's been a bit downbeat, which is understandable, he's only human. But at times when he comes out and because we keep pushing and stuff like that, I think really helps the team. Yeah, I remember when um, in Turkey in 2020, when he crossed the line for the seventh title, you know, it was, I don't remember the exact wording, but yeah, the, the, the fact that he was so ready to embody a, a positive message to his fans, he knows how many people look up to him as an idol, fans yeah. like you were when, when you were a little kid, they see this guy who is, yeah, he's yeah. bigger than life, he's, he's, the, he's the fastest guy in the world, he's taking the danger that goes into it, the speed, and he's, he's better yeah. than everyone, and, and yeah, also the... I completely agree as well. You mentioned, you know, he, he gets down sometimes, but that is part of being human. And, and while he yeah. is going to be that, you know, still we rise, you know, motivational guy. And then there'll be a point in a race where he's like, oh, this car's rubbish. We should retire. <laughs> We're stuck at the back, whatever. But it's like, look, if you've, if anyone that has done anything difficult in their lives will relate to that more than, you know, oppose it and be like, oh, he's being negative. It's just, yeah. everyone has these kind of things where I'm sure you've, approached an intro of an article right and been like oh mate this i can't write this i want to should, should my, and then you, you come around to it at the end of the day yeah my mum, if she was on this call right now she'd say that i'm the biggest moaner that there actually is going <laughs> i will call her just to like i can't believe this is not working like i can't do this and she just go yeah 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 and then i'll figure it out you sometimes you just even when people get on like the, the team radio stuff where they talk to the the, the engineer a certain way kind of go look they're in a competitive environment looking you have 20 of the most competitive guys in the world kind of racing on the kind of very difficult cars and intense conditions and sometimes 
things aren't going well and sometimes they need to vent. And you can't expect, I guess, 20 uh, perfect children in a way under such conditions. Like they are doing something incredibly difficult. And yeah, I th- I, I, I sometimes think, you know, I think people expect perfection from them and nothing. No, like, I think I... I, I moan, I get frustrated with things, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to figure it out. It just means I need to kind of go through this period of frustration before coming out on the other side. I think Lewis is the same thing. It's the same thing in Spain when he said, let's retire the car. Sometimes he just needed that down moment and he probably just needed to overtake one car and go, I'm good. I'm in the zone now. I'm good to go. You know, you, sometimes you see Max get frustrated on the radio. It doesn't mean he's in a bad mental space. It just means I need to kind of go through this to come out on the other side. So I, I, I think it's just a natural human reaction to get a bit down sometimes. It doesn't mean you're not going to come back up. It just means you're a bit down. <laughs> and, you know, I think everyone has those moments. Yeah, and, and so much of the responsibility in those moments then goes to the team. We, we mentioned earlier, the team is so much more than the driver and a huge part of that happens on the radio to the race engineer. In those critical moments, we know yeah. um, Peter Boddington, that calm voice on the radio for Lewis and the connection they have. Um, and I think also Lewis's trainer, Angela, right? Probably Peter and Angela yeah. are, are those two people at Mercedes who are closest to Lewis and play such a big role in in maintaining everything, keeping everything where it needs to be in, in his physical, mental health and, and yeah, keeping him up as, as that performer. Um, <laughs> There was actually, there was another story you mentioned earlier, um, you know, being a positive leader and and leading the team. It was at Monaco before the race. Do you remember at Monaco where it was like delay uh, raining and it stopped raining and everyone was like, oh oh my God, what's going on? And the the starting grid, when everyone was lined up on the starting grid and it just started chucking it down with rain, the tires flying back and forth everywhere. And I think it it was Ted Kravitz in his notebook had mentioned, or maybe it was in the race coverage, that Jost Capito, the Williams team principal, was like properly in the mix. Like he was pushing stuff around, helping people. Like he was really involved in that um, effort with the team. And I think, yeah, the fact that the team principals, there there are different ways of doing it. I would say maybe Toto is is more more of a businessman, whereas, and then you have Jost, who's a little bit more kind of, hands-on but also to some extent that comes with the context of the team and the fact that mercedes is such a huge business that there's going to be a role to play there um i should probably come up with a question now i've been talking for a while um how do you view uh, the the team principles in in formula one who stands out to you as embodying the similar spirit to lewis as as being a great leader i think they're they're all fantastic actually and and I think a lot has been made about Horner and, and Wolf and and their kind of rivalry in, in some stage, but I love it. I think you you have ten guys who are leading billion dollar million dollar industries who, and racing teams, and they're looking to win. And I, I love Toto Wolf. I love the way he comes across in interviews. I, I love listening to him speak because he's always very honest. And you know, I think he did an interview. Well, the other day. well, I, I don't know, Nadim. I might have to call you out on that one because no, but, he, yeah. him, and Jonathan. You know, he's been firing some shots at Jonathan. I've got to back my boy there. As much yeah. as I am a red, I'm a Red Bull shell. I've got to back my boy in that one. But I, I, I agree on everything else. No, yeah, but I don't know. It's just coming across in interviews. Like anytime I listen to the Total Wolf interview, I've never felt like he lied to me. I think. Yeah. I think. No, you're, you're right. Yeah. You're right. So the other day he did an interview with Martin Brundle, and he and I think after he called uh, the Mercedes a something box, and he did an interview with Martin Brundle and the way just. So what the car is the issue with the car and and everything like that and, and I love listening to that as well I love and you know Christian Horner as well he he 
I think he's a great in front of the media. I think he's absolutely wonderful. But as well, my actually one of the, my favorite. Um, I love listening to Andreas Idol. I yep. think he's a really good team principal. I, 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 maybe McLaren aren't where they want to be at the moment, but I, I for some reason, Sadie was always stood out to me. I, I just love listening to him talk. I, I feel like he's the type of team principal I'd want to work under. I think they're all great, but for some reason, Sadie, and as well, Benotto as well. I, I, I love, I love, there's a picture of Benotto when, on video when Schumacher was with Ferrari, and I think there was a I've video. I've seen that, yeah. Yeah, I love that video. I think it just shows like here's he here he was when he was younger and he's worked his way up to being in this position now. So I think Bonotto and Sides I have a special place in my heart for them. But obviously, you know, I grew up a Mercedes fan. I grew up a Lewis Hamilton fan, so I became a Mercedes fan and Toto Wolf is the, the head. So but I, I, I think Bonotto and Sidal is something there's something I love about I, just listen to them talk and Bonotto's story as well. I, it's something about those two, I think. Yeah, but also, yeah, you, that video is brilliant. Um, I'll, I'll put a link to it. If you're listening on YouTube, I'll, I'll stick it in the description. But yeah, it's it's so cool. I mean, he, to be honest, like, all right, I first saw that video and I thought, right, Binotto is a massive nerd. I had no idea that he was like <laughs> in the engine room, but I, it was yeah. not a negative comment. It was just like the fact that he he was so technically oriented and and yeah, yeah. the people can come from different, like Jos Capito, he worked in, in WRC before he came to Formula One. Yeah. Bonotto was, was on the powertrain side as, as a literally putting them together and then it's worked his I way think up Mike that Crack, way. Mike Crack came from, uh, uh, him and Seidel both came from, uh, BMW? Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, who. I think so. Yeah, and so, but it just, it and Total Wolf was uh, Williams and uh, I actually only found out the other day that he's a billionaire apparently. Um, oh yeah, he's, he's properly rich. Yeah, I did not know that. I I just thought he, but it, you can come from different backgrounds as well. Like you don't have to, you know. And and the the main thing is that they have the backing of their teams. And you listen to people that work under Soto, Hona, Wolf, uh, so uh, so the, uh, Benotto, Seidel, you know, um, uh, Otmar Safnau, uh, Steiner, up and down the paddock. Everyone will tell you they love working for them. And even Frederick Vassell as well. I I. I, I sat one time on an interview with him and he's someone you want to work for as well. I, I can understand why people are off from like working for him. You know, they come across really well and you can see why they're put in charge of these massive corporations that these 10 teams are. Yeah, I was trying to think because um, you mentioned that you cover lots of sports beyond um, Formula One football and, and the NBA particularly. Yeah. I don't know, maybe I feel like Popovich might be might have been good in Formula yeah. One, right? Yeah, I think Steve Kerr as well of the Warriors. Mm. I think I think he'd been he'd been really good because he, he has this relaxed demeanor. I think I think he'd be a bit like uh, who's the most relaxed one? I think uh, I think Bonotto is quite relaxed. Relaxed. He never seems faced. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Well, because also um, you know Horner and and Wolf as well. They used to be drivers, and we see a lot yeah. of people in. Um, you know, and of course, obviously, Steve Kerr used to play for the Bulls. And there's a lot of people also as as like commentators, right? And also people that work for the teams. Having the experience as a driver mm. is a positive thing. And it allows you to connect with the drivers to understand what they're feeling in the car more directly. Um, yeah. And it was also something we, we spoke about through this podcast, right? We spoke yeah. to um, Jack Nichols, the guy that does commentary for Formula E and, and Radio 5 Live. Yeah, His partnership with Jolie and Palmer and that how they're able to like bring in you know they'll they'll notice something that no one else can notice yeah or, um, or they'll, they'll understand language that no, no one else can notice 
I was trying to think now if if we maybe go from NBA to football. Uh, maybe uh, Klopp. I mean, Klopp would be good. He's funny, right? He definitely is good in front of the media. How would yeah. he be in Formula One? Oof, God. I mean, he would never leave. He loves where he is right now, of course. But yeah. you know, it's a hypothetical world. I'm trying to think. Oh, God. I think Jose Mourinho would be really good. And I think he'd be like Horner. I, I, I think they're very similar in the way they go about things. Um, he'd yeah. probably, I mean, he, he would piss a lot of people off pretty quickly, yeah. Jose. He's, he's yeah. not going to part with nothing. Yeah, Horner doesn't do that either. Like, Horner, Horner and Wolf, yeah. the reason they've been going back and forth is because they don't really hide how they feel about each other or how they feel about a certain certain thing. Like, they're very honest. And I think uh, uh, Mourinho has that about him. I think... Uh, uh, Klopp has that about him. I'd, I'd be interested to see how Guardiola works with that team as well. But I think as well, one of the things they have, I think each team, you mentioned earlier about uh, some of them were the different backgrounds. I think it depends on the team. I think certain teams need a certain kind of uh, leader. I don't, you know, would Horner be able to work as the leader of Mercedes? Would uh, Wolf be able to work as the leader of Red Bull? Maybe not. Um, they'll be, probably do a good job, but it's like I think they suit where they are now. And I think, I think Klopp, like for example, Klopp suits Liverpool. Klopp is Liverpool. Like that it seems like the perfect marriage. And I, I think you know if he came into F1, it's like what would be the perfect team for him? Like who would he build up? I think to myself, someone like a someone like McLaren or an Alpine, they can get to the front. That would be really yeah. nice. But yeah. I know I was trying to think also the the culture around management in football is really weird because obviously probably more than in Formula One, the manager affects what happens on the field, right? He's picking, you know, substitutes, formation, tactics, all that sort of thing. Obviously, you've got the captain there too and plenty of staff behind the manager to help play a role in that. Yeah. But really, the manager is so integrated. And then I think one, what you get from that, when a club starts to perform badly, people are like, right, get the manager out. And then you yeah. get this thing that happens. You get a new manager every two years. A club falls into Man United status or something where like you just keep changing manager. No one's happy at a given time and everyone starts to blame the manager. But you rarely ever see that in Formula One, right? Not a lot of people yeah. are calling for like Jos Capitos get fired because Williams yeah. are at the back or Binotto. I mean, maybe there are some Tifosi who would who would like to see yeah. Binotto out. But you know what I mean, right? That yeah. the culture I, is different. Yeah, I appreciate that because I think you know I think as football fans sometimes we forget that managers that's their job, and they yep. they play nicely, but it's their job. And you're calling for someone to get fired from their job, and you know no one comes into the office at F1 and tells me that I should get fired. And I guess it's on a different scale, but like, could you imagine that someone coming into your studio now and telling you, I think you should be fired, you know, and, and it must be difficult for them. And I like that about F1. I like that, you know, um, you know, one, I know who's calling for capital's job. No one like, and if he did leave, like, no one would really heck, like, not care, but no one would, would be like, oh, uh, no one would kind of, I guess, make a fuss in a way or, or like, or like make it such a negative or something like that. It's it just, I like, I like that culture in F1 where, and I also like the culture that I guess the teams like Alpine and McLaren and, and Aston Martin have adopted where they understand that they're not where they want to be, but they have a, a vision of where they want to get to. I think it was Alpine that mentioned a hundred races or was it maybe Aston, I'm not really sure, but something like that, I think is really cool where it's like, we're not just living for today. We're kind of planning and we're going, we cannot, we, probably can't compete with Mercedes and Red Bull and Ferrari now, but give us a few years time. Let's build something here. And I like that about the F1 culture. I don't think it's, I've never, in the special last few years, I felt it sometimes uncomfortable to call for a manager's job in football, because as much as I guess we're fans and everything like that, and I'm an Arsenal fan, people want me to say that Teta should leave. 
it's his job, and I feel very uncomfortable for saying that he should get fired from his job. You know, even if I don't agree with everything he's done, something like that. I think it, it's it, it's what I love about F1. Like, no, you don't hear any calls for, you know, House House have had had a good start to the season. Now they're ninth in the constructors. You don't go. I think Gunter Steiner should be fired. Like that doesn't solve much. So I, I like that culture in F1. Yeah, but then I suppose that also it stops with the drivers. People will still say. Um, I mean, you know, Latifi at the moment, right? The conversation at the moment is, I mean, I, I'm not sure. Uh, it, I don't think it's reached the level of, of being on the F1 website, but I believe yeah. the Piastri news is just about before that stage, right? Where that is is something that that deal is probably going to go through and, and Nicholas Latifi won't be in, in Formula One last year. But we did see the worst part of that culture, especially after the finale last year. Um, yeah. F1 fans, well, you yeah. know, that the thing about calling for the, the managers, the team principals jobs, there's still some self-reflection to be had about the way people talk about drivers sometimes. Yeah. I mean, as a, I was a, as a Hamilton fan, and I'll be honest, I, I watched that race <laughs> well, with my head in my hands. I was distraught at, 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 yeah. um, at Hamilton losing that championship. And of course, they do look at Latifi and go, why'd you crash? But no one crashes on purpose. And you know, I think everything. Well, 2000, you know, Singapore 2008, there was a yeah. coordinated safety car. <laughs> oh God, yeah. So that's the thing with Formula well, One. There's always, there's always, there's always a well, actually moment, Nadine. But I'm sorry to interrupt you there. <laughs> no, it's true. I think what did Rosberg went off on Monaco apparently, or something like that. Uh, yep. So yeah, but no, no, like Latifi is not crashing on purpose. I'll say that. And yep. you know, I, I think it's 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 tough because I think I think someone wrote a feature the other day on the F1 website. I think it was Lawrence about the Alpine kind of conversation about what could happen to Astri next year because he deserves to be in F1. He's too good to be sitting on the sidelines. But you do look at it and go, Latifi is trying his hardest to be good at something and not to be good, but he's trying his hardest to to get, to to make his name. He's, he's, he's working hard. He isn't like shirking his responsibilities or anything like that. And so, of course, you know, you know, he makes mistake, mistakes. That's life. And, He's trying. He's working hard, and whether or not he's, I think both he and Albon's contracts expire at the end of the season. Apparently, I think I'm not really sure, but uh, yeah, I think it'd be it'd be very interesting to see uh, what happens with uh, Piastri. But I, I don't like the conversation. I never like the, the the when it gets to a root point. I think you can have an opinion on drivers, and you can say which one's the best, and you can say which one he needs to work and, and everything like that. But I, I, I never liked it, liked it to get to the point where. Uh, Latifi has to put out a statement about the abuse he gets. It's unnecessary. Yeah. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't mean it doesn't crash. It, it's unnecessary half the time, and that's one of the reasons why I avoid social media as much as I can. But yeah, I think you know it'd be very interesting to see. I think the driver market is always the most entertaining part mid-season, or what happens. But yeah, I think very interesting to see what happens uh, with uh, Williams, especially. Absolutely. The yeah, the the driver market. It's really cool because I think also now with Formula E growing um, with IndyCar as well. We had the, um, I don't know if you watch much IndyCar, but the commentator for it in the UK, a guy called Tom, Tom Gaymore. He's a, a yeah. friend of the show. He's been, he's been on twice and, and he's been really lovely to me in, in kind of coming on for interviews and, and sharing his in, insight into the sport. But the way that, like probably Latifi, right? While he may leave Formula One, it's not the end of the road, pardon the pun, driving wise. Um, and, and there's plenty there's so many other categories, whether it's world endurance, whether it's IndyCar, whether it's yeah. Formula E. Um, the 
transfer market of drivers is is a is unique um and because they're, they're it's almost like a borderline where they're leaving formula one but they're not leaving motorsport yeah. and you kind of have these different forms forms throughout um do you watch other categories how uh, is that something you just don't have time for with with the, the burden I of the mean, f1 job i do i watch a bit like not i'm not like well versed i can have like a proper conversation about it but i do sometimes when you know like after a race weekend or after a race or, or qualifying whatever it is the, the screen will still be on and it'll go to IndyCar or whatever's happening and you just catch a bit of it and, and stuff like that and, and you see someone like I think Callum Islet's there as well and I think Grosjean's yep. in IndyCar as well stuff like that so um, yeah I, I do watch a bit of it and it, you're right in saying that it's not the end of the F1 career or the motorsport career I think you know of course F1 is where everyone I guess wants to be um, you know as drivers but you know it doesn't mean your career's ended you know we've seen Grosjean's gone off and he's doing, I guess he's doing pretty well. And, and you see, other guys. I thought Schwarzman would, would be in F1, but he's not. And he's somewhere else doing, I think he's in IndyCar as well, isn't he? And he's or somewhere else. Come, I don't think, no, uh, Christian Lungard went to IndyCar. I know that. Yeah, sorry, Lungard, yeah. Lungard's the one as well. I think someone like Nick DeFries as well. Nick DeFries, yep. one F2. You know, he could have found a C in F1. And now he's done really well at Formula E. So, um, yeah, it's not the end of you know, uh, your motorsport career and, and a TV. Look, you don't get behind the wheel of an F1 car if you're not good enough to get behind the wheel of an F1 car. Some are more talented than others. That happens. But he's not like some terrible racing driver, you know, and I think people need to kind of get off his back. Yeah, and I also wanted to mention, um, sorry, we're getting close to, to the end here, but Guan Yu Zhou, or sorry, Zhou Guan Yu, um, his yeah. race performances throughout the season, he got points in the first race, points now in um in canada too even more after sebastian uh, also after fernando alonso's penalty um yeah. but he's been a real talent right what's it been like covering covering his entrance first ever chinese driver lots yeah. of eyes i mean the nation of china you know the, the scale of, of everything that happens there him as yeah. a sporting figure for for that country amazing um what's it been like viewing viewing his career writing about that i, I love it I, I absolutely love it and i i got to sit in as well on the interview he did and it, you know, you, you someone you root for. Like he came across really well, and he was really nice, and and you really root for him. And and I, you know, I, I wrote about him the other day after you know what happened in after his PA in Canada, and, and he sounds so happy. Like he just and he's had really bad luck in the last few races, and I think he and Sainz have had the most DNF this season. I think three. So and it's not been, always been easy for him, but I think he's coming really along. And I think the issue kind of I think people have is. They talk about well, why isn't Piastri here? But Joe is. But that doesn't mean Joe doesn't deserve to be in F1. He's he's really good and he's doing well. And for rookie drivers, and I think Schumacher's kind of getting the same thing now. It takes certain people a little bit longer to develop, and and it takes some people a while to get there. It doesn't mean they'll never get there. It just takes them a while. So you need to have patience with them. And people expected Joe to come in and to immediately match Valtteri Bottas. Valtteri Bottas is a race winner, and he's driven for Mercedes and it was going to take him a while to figure it out but by all the sounds of it he's constantly asking Valtteri questions he's he's asking the right questions he's improving and he's getting better and he's he beat Valtteri in the last two qualifying sessions and he, you know he finished eighth in the race you know and if not for the retirement in back he could have finished in the top 10 there as well so he's doing a, I think he's really doing a really good job and you root for him and I, I hope he has a good career in F1, and I've enjoyed writing about him and even listening to his interviews. I think it's been really cool. Yeah, I can imagine the joining 
Formula One, um, you know, as, as a Chinese driver, such a obviously English speaking, but also UK focused yeah. kind of sport and, and media presence, it, it would be, yeah, I mean, a, a fascinating experience to, to enter Formula One through his eyes. But yeah, we've, we've really seen him uh, come in and, and prove exactly prove how um, how good he is, how much he deserves that seat and how yeah. fast he is in the car. Um, I wanted to ask lastly, as we we go to Silverstone, um, a bit more of a, a kind of detailed race prediction. What do you think? Yeah. We know the, the upgrade packages for a lot of teams, the cars will be different to how we've seen them before. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's going to happen, Nadine? Give me the answers. Oh, God, I wish I knew. I, I truly hope Mercedes get closer to Ferrari and, and Red Bull. And not just because I'm a Hamilton fan or whatever. I just really hope, I really want to see that six that six driver battle because I think you have six of the best drivers in the three best cars. And if they can have something close to equal machinery, I think it'd be such a spectacle to watch. And you could have a situation where, you know, Leclerc starts second and, and Sainz is in sixth. You know, is that close? So I, I'm really looking forward to that and hopefully we get that. But as well, I'm really interested in the midfield battle. And with Alpine have looked really strong in the last couple of races, McLaren haven't really been as themselves, especially in Canada. So I, I really like that battle and I'm really interested to see how it plays out. Aston Martin as well, I thought looked really good in FP1, FP2 and FP3 and then struggled in qualifying. So I wonder what happened there. But I, I you can't, with the way Verstappen's driving right now and, you know, how on form he's been, I think he's won six out of the first nine races. You know, you, you, you'd be a brave man to best against him, but, but he's also never won the British Grand Prix. He has won a Silverstone but he's never won the British Grand Prix. So that'll be something he'll want to have to his list. And I think they've already been talking about wanting to make up for last year. So, you know, there'll be a, a force to reckon with this weekend. But, you know, they also did say Leclerc was now a fresh power unit these next few races before the summer break. We've seen Leclerc, he's dominant in qualifying. He's probably the best qualifier. You know, probably been the best qualifier this season. You know, he'll have something to say and he'll want to make a uh, kind of a statement that says this title isn't over. I don't think you've won it yet. So, I think you can expect the Ferrari Red Bull battle as well, but I'm looking forward to seeing, trying to see Mercedes get closer to those two. So, all right, are we thinking maybe Verstappen from Charles from Lewis would be would be a nice podium, or maybe maybe Lewis, you know, Lewis from um, everyone else would would be ideal. Uh, that the fan in me would love to see Hamilton uh, on top on the top step of Silverstone again, but. As someone who's covering the sport, I want to see that 16 battle, that, that six-way, six-driver battle, you know, and even Russell, Russell, Russell's driven really well. I know they talk about the Hamilton taking the sacrifice, being the sacrificial lamb, but Russell's done a good job and he'll want to win the Silverstone, win a Silverstone as well. So, yeah, I, I like, I, I, I is what you can't forget Perez. I'm just so enamored by this season. Perez has been brilliant and he's really suffered. He crashed on Saturday in Montreal and then really suffered in the race on Sunday. And he'll want to close that gap to Max as well. So I think it's such an enticing product um, um, product that we're going to get at, at Silverstone, even looking ahead to the sprint in Austria, what could happen there. So I, 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 I'm, what I will predict, you'll get a really good weekend of racing because every weekend has been great so far. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people, um, I know I will, I'll be relying on, on your coverage because I'm going to be out the race. And the fact that you know you can only yeah. be at what you can only be at one corner at a time, and and you do you need got to keep in touch with the the timings on the on the website yeah. and that sort of thing. So uh, yeah, keep your eye out for for some of Nadine's writing. But I think 
we can wrap the interview up here um this has been one of our best episodes mate this was really cool to, to hear about the insides of, of formula one and, and your experience working in that so i'll say from me really really big thank you for uh, for coming on the show making it a great one uh, no problem you're actually my first interview uh, first ever someone's first time someone's ever asked to interview me so i appreciate that uh but yeah i i I don't think I, I hadn't heard of the show before. We're actually looking out for it now. So, um, yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Awesome. Well, we'll let the outro music play and I'll be back next week with more episodes of the Jack Throwful Show.